yourself on the common objective and you put the customer at the center, you know, all that other stuff, hidden agendas, you know, all, all that other, excuse the expression, crap that happens in corporate America, they all kinds of go away. Welcome to Work Matters, where we explore what leaders can do to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. I am your host, Thomas Bertels. Many companies struggle to tap into the full value of their capabilities and create value for customers. The traditional organization gets in the way. Today's guest, Joe Batista, has been able to carve out a unique role for himself to unlock latent value. A self-ascribed chief creatologist, he is a former Dell and HP executive with more than three decades of experience and a recognized thought leader on innovation and value creation. In today's discussion, we explore what a chief creatologist is, what it takes to be successful in such a role, and how companies should organize themselves to realize the latent value of their capabilities. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. Joe Batista, welcome to the show. Thomas, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm just so excited to, to chat with you and explore some new uh, avenues for your audience. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we, I think, met 10 years ago. So you have a really fascinating story. Your job title is Chief Creatologist. What does a Chief Creatologist do and, and how did you end up in this role? Well, you, you know, it's, it, it is a fun brand, I must admit. You know, I'm not a proctologist, all right? I'm a Chief Creatologist, but um, my world, Thomas, really, I live in the world of C&D, Connect and Develop where the companies that I represent, the boundaries become a little porous. And then how can you take the DNA of a client or a potential customer or a partner or a government agency and then meld that boundary in a porous nature with another company to create something that new? And I'm really just super passionate about working with, with clients and colleagues to kind of explore those those boundaries and, and my mantra has been you know how do you go from how do you compress the distance between an idea to a result and, but i will say there's one comment on this though that i've been extremely fortunate in that journey that management has allowed me to give me the space to kind of go out and, and, and explore these what i call unseen opportunities as a matter of fact i, I can name all my managers for the last 40 years from bob to barbara to Stan, to Jack, to Kevin, to Dan, to Dave, to Ryan. And it's been an amazing journey to actually look at new opportunities in a totally different way to unlock value, not only for the company that you represent, but also for our customers and clients as well. Give us maybe like a practical example for like what a, what a chief creatologist does and, and what kind of opportunities you, you help unlock. Thomas, I know you all too well. You always want a story from me. So I'm going to give you three stories to kind of highlight the journey that we've gone through. And I'm going to go take three stories over the last 13 years, because if you get a, a perspective of what really is kind of changing and what I'll try to do at the end of the three stories for your audience, and you know this as well as I do, is I'll try to digest some lessons learned that, that people should think about. Uh, on this journey to unlock value for either themselves and professionally and growing their skill set or in their company. So the first journey that I want to talk about it goes back to 2009. And this is around data, or as we would say in Boston, data. Um, and data is an, a really unique opportunity to kind of unlock value. Uh, and I think a lot of people now in, in 2023 realize that data literacy is kind of important. But back in 2009, we were just beginning to experiment 
And I'm going to go ahead and take you back. The audience might remember that in 2009, we had a peanut butter recall. So the big question with the peanut butter recall and the, the, the manufacturer who produced the peanut butter is, where do I do the recall? Do I recall it across the entire country and literally impact my balance sheet to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars? Or is there someplace? And um, we were fortunate back then, and I was working for Hewlett Packard, uh, which actually became a product called Pulse, that what we did is we mined tweets. And it's amazing. Well, today we know, but back then it's like amazing what was in the tweet database. There was all sorts of data about what I ate, when I ate it, and how I felt. And lo and behold, when we began to mine those tweets, the data, we uncovered that the certain geographies in the Southeast were being impacted the most. And that's, that's a place that you want to take you know, take the peanut butters off the shelf. So, you know, the ability to use data to your advantage, and then as a result of that engagement, to create a whole new product that we, that we did at HP called, called Pulse. Another scenario would be something like um, a new operating plane. So this happened uh, in 2022, and uh, it was a healthcare uh, payer. And they just had merged with the PBM, um, Pharmacy Benefits um, Company. And um, of course, I was working for Dell at the time. And uh, what they were really interested in is, you know, how do they take cost out in terms of a merger, right? So how do I go from nine data centers, maybe down to two? And I was asked by the, um, the team, this kid, can you take a look at this a little bit differently? And one of the things that I uncovered in, in my research, uh, what I call fast learn for insights, is that um, no one was thinking about the edge. Now, that has a lot of connotations in the technology and IT world. So let me put the business scenario to you. The business scenario is, what if we were collecting Fitbit data, sleep apnea data, EKG data, so long as the customer or the member in this case would allow us to opt in. And I approached that question to the IT staff and they're like, well, Joe, what, why, why do we care? We're looking at the data center. We're trying to, well, I go, there's, there's, there's two reasons why you might want to be considering looking at that data is that the first reason is if I can collect that data, I can begin to treat my member better. They call it the whole health policy. So if I can treat my member better, my medical loss ratio goes down, which means the cost of every dollar premium that I take in, how much do I spend for um, you know, medical uh, imaging, et cetera. And uh, back then it was 84, roughly 84, 85 cents to the dollar was being spent by this health insurance company. I said, well, that would be number one reason. That, that could be a huge impact if you could reduce your medical loss ratio down. Then I go, the second reason you wanna, you wanna collect that data is because you can write price, write price to premium. Cause you know, maybe Joe and Thomas, I might have a higher propensity to heart condition so you can write price the policy. And you know, the IT guys are saying, well, you know, that's, that's a really interesting, you know, business. I go, well, just, just play along with me. What, what if the business unit pivots in the next two years and says, we wanna do this? And they said, okay, well, we'll play along this. Yes, they, they want to do this. I go, well, here, here's, my, here's our concern. Our concern is we're spending all this energy on cost reduction at the data center where the new operating plane 
might be at the edge. And are we putting ourselves into a checkmate position because we haven't forethought what will be happening? Now, now, let me put this in your world terms. If this does happen, you have 75 million members, you have a 2% opt-in collecting only 145 bits of data is really 75 terabytes of incremental storage every week. Ah, and the big light bulb goes off. Well, based upon that scenario that we painted about a new operating model at the edge, and then arming IT and working collaboratively with the business units to kind of pursue that train of thought, just opened up a world of possibilities. And then created what I call alignment of interest between, in this case, the vendor and the client to move forward and really change the business model of how things are, are going forward. So in both cases, one was very extensive uh, with the health insurance company, the other one's very micro-focused. And then I'm gonna give you the third one that's just absolutely blow your audience's mind away. We're gonna talk about mushrooms. And I think you've heard this story from me before. And people are like, what mushrooms? You know, what, you know, what are you talking about uh, mushrooms? And this is around um, packaging. So um, when I spent some time at Dell, I, you know, I, was, I got to roam the halls of Dell. It's really an amazing uh, company with a whole sorts of range of assets similar to, to HP, but there was one group in Austin that was in charge of sustainability. And um, the person's name was, was Oliver and he had this team. And when you, when you purchased a, a laptop from Dell, it actually came in mushroom packaging because the drop properties were better than styrofoam and it was 25% less expensive on the packaging. So this is what I call an asset inside a company that's locked as a core competency. So the question is, how do you unlock it? Well, the, the way we unlocked it was, and it, you don't always have to sell something to somebody or a customer. It's how do you provide value to your client? And this was a major toy company. And what I understood when I looked at their um, financials, and buried in the financials, by the way, they spent 11.4% in packaging, paper, plastic, and resin. And my, my question was to them was what if, and I love the what if, what if we could take our core competency of sustainable packaging, apply it to your supply chain of packaging, only take half of that supply chain and impact it by the same metric that we had, 25%. Do you realize that that would be 10.4% of all the profit you made in Q4, or it would be 47% of all the FX currency exchange that you had in that year. So that's another story about, but they're all the stories around data. How do you take IT? How do you take core competencies and begin to work with clients in this what I call alignment of interest to begin to unlock value. Does that help a little bit? I can, I can bore you to death with the playbook, Thomas, but I think that will give you audience a little bit of thinking on, on the three stories. What always, uh, I think, impressed me is right, that you were able to position yourself like, at the boundary. And, and what's interesting for me is that like, there's obviously like a traditional organization, right? There's a sales function, there's a marketing function, there's a, I'm sure there's a customer success manager somewhere. There's a product management function within HP, but those opportunities that, that you just described really don't get picked up. They don't get realized, right? It, it, I think it takes somebody who sort of sits a little bit away from the day-to-day -day business to, to see some of those things. 
Um, would you agree, or, or, or what, what's your take? No, no, I, I would agree. Let's let's um, let's kind of take a look and separate this a little bit. Let's be selfish for a moment, and let's think about the individual, the employee inside the company constructs the organization structure. And some of the lessons here would be the the first one is what I call, and it's it's tough to get your head wrapped around, but I'm going to give you something that that's that's tangible. It's, it's curiosity, right? So for me, curiosity is around how do I do fast learn and gain insights? I mean, I, I, I'm not a, a healthcare payer expert, but I actually have been very fortunate to kind of create a course for some corporate clients as well as teach it. But how do you, how do you get those insights to begin to build that story, that narrative? That, that's one thing that you, that you definitely need to do. I think the next thing is uh, what I call go on a safari. Right. Go, go live with the customer for a moment, a day to day and go see what they're doing. And then the other thing is what I call think days. And, you know, this sounds like just basic things, but this is all around curiosity. Think days. My favorite think day, by the way, was with the founder, now the founder of the Hello Products, uh, Craig Davinsky. And he was working for Simon Mall Properties at the time. And we went on a think day to, to New York City. And we, we just spent the day, had breakfast, had lunch, had dinner. We would look at. We would look at architecture, things on the street, people, display, and we would try to connect those dots with the project that we were working on. So curiosity can be stimulated. It's not something that that's grown, but you know, the concept of you know, garner insights, go on a safari and think days are, are a great idea. I think the second one is, uh, I'm a firm believer that um, T skills need to become comb skills. And you, you understand this, right? So T, I'm deep in something and then, but now I'm deep in three or four, three or four areas, and then I have some uh, generic, you know, soft skills. I think um, the concept for me on on comb skills, and we, you and I have had this conversation before, is you need to become a triple double player, right? And a triple double player, if it's a basketball analogy, someone who scores double digits and you know assists, points, and rebounds. For me, it's all about I got to be extremely technical. I got to use technical tools. I have to be collaborative. In communication, so everything that goes around with that, collaborating with customers, colleagues, communicating, handwritten, all that. And then the last one is, which a lot of folks lack, is I need a business and financial acumen. And the reason why I picked that mushroom story is you see how I use the financials to create the narrative. So you need to become a triple-double player. I don't believe in this concept that managers call unicorns or snowflakes. I don't know what that is. That's just like the next word that you're an oddity. No, no, you're a triple double player. You have a range of skill sets and you see things with a set of lenses and a 360 degree view because of your skill set. So I think that's the, that's the, the second one. I think the third one is leadership changes. So sometimes I'm a coach, sometimes I'm an advisor, sometimes I'm a leader, sometimes I'm a cheerleader. And we really struggle inside corporate America because we have these definitions of what the roles would be on what leadership looks like. Well, leadership changes over the course of an engagement. So you need to be extremely flexible in that case. I think the last one, last two is focus in on the outcome, right? Could be a business outcome, technical outcome, operational outcome, financial outcome, but focus in on the outcome and always, always try to create a center of gravity where you create alignment of interest between your brand and the client. So if you personally, selfishly, can do those things, then you'll be well on your way to kind of unlocking the value inside 
you know, corporate America or, or your constructs of, of your organizations. Now, the flip side, I, you got to need management to recognize, to give you space. And if they don't give you space and, you know, the, the term I use is a free range chicken, you know, to go out across all the silos and investigate what your company really is, then it, it's going to be very difficult, you know, to kind of make that happen. So having space or becoming a free range chicken. Now, I will say this, if you're in a volume based skew driven company, that's very difficult to do. But if you can, if you can get that space and become a free range chicken and show success when opening up unseen opportunities, I, I think that's a winning stra strategy for companies. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, first of all, I'm amazed that quite frankly, you survived so long in that role. Because I would imagine that, you know, if the quarter is not so good, the latest success story is like three months ago, so people don't remember it, that the temptation is to say, this guy cannot be allocated to a product line, a customer, this, that. So, so maybe that's a role we don't need. You first have to respect the DNA of the company. I mean, because we all know cultural lead strategy every time, right? If you're looking at the lowest common denominator, where, where the energy comes from is I've always worked at big companies not necessarily emerging companies. So the portfolio of what I call assets are there. They're just trapped. So I, I know we've had this discussion around, you know, how do you d discover, unlock, and then unleash those assets? Like, you know, how do you, how do you take your core competency that you run your business with around sustainability packaging, but kind of make that available to your clients? So I think there is a whole topic area that I've been exploring, which I call asset hunting. And I think companies in their constructs need to figure out, they, they, they look at their assets as, you know, people assets, I look at my assets as, you know, supply chain assets, I look at my assets as uh, the products, but there is a host of other business processes, ecosystems, IP, uh, data, uh, relationships, uh, countries that I operate in, these are all assets. And I think what companies need to really do is take an inventory of the assets, which by the way is the easy part. And then they have to figure out how to unlock that asset and unleash it in a customer facing engagement. I, I'll, I'll give you one example, a great example when I was over at, at HP, um, you know, everyone thinks about the print cartridge. Well, there were 36,000 patents on the print cartridge. You know, you have 36,000 vapor blasts every second, you know, through a very small nozzle. I mean, it's, it was, it was, it's, all the, it's all around microfluidics. It's incredible, the technology on that. But no one ever took the time to dismantle it and say, you know what? That would be perfect for GE jet engine on spraying gas into a piston. You know what, that'd be perfect for a washing machine company who was re-engineering the washing machine by using bacteria to provide a better wash, but they were afraid of someone copying that technology and then disintermediating that, um, that little thing that they would put in the washing machine, kind of like our print cartridge to printers. There, there was all sorts of possibilities, but no one ever looked at it with a different set of lenses. So I, I, I think companies just don't think about their assets in a different way and then inventory it. And then they don't have an organization that knows how to take that reorientation and unlock it and unleash it to a customer.
I think that's that's a big challenge for me, what I say. So, I mean, the way I understand, I think you've been like a little bit like an army of, of one, right? Right. Uh, so that there are not 15 chief creatologists, right? Um, there might be right other people like in the orbit, but uh, it, it's not like a something that somebody designed, right? It's not there was like an executive vice president that said, let's create this function, let's map up the RACI, right? Joe needs to be in these 15 meetings, right? It just emerged, I would imagine, right? In in right fitting with the culture, right? In 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 collaboration, probably with people that had relationships with customers and says and invite you in, right? And say, hey, Joe. I joined the I joined the party, or I think you could add value here. Um, if if that's correct, right? I mean, that's obviously very personality dependent, right? There's only one you, right? So if a company actually wanted to create like this capability, right? How would you go about setting that up? Is that a separate function? Where does it fit? Can you even do it, right? I mean, does does is this truly like a person dependent thing? Or is that something that, that could be you know structured and designed? Actually, what was really interesting is in the journey, um, my colleagues saw how I broke down what I call business mechanics, how, how I broke that down. So they began to learn a different approach. So it really wasn't an army of one because the idea phase of this is kind of the easy part. Creating the narrative is a little bit more difficult. The execution definitely is the most. But what I did find is in my journey, I had lots of great colleagues who got it and they were able to apply some of the tools, techniques, ideas, or just or just um, repeat it, a project that we did with another customer. So I think it's very learnable. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a snowflake, it's not a unicorn, but you definitely need to be a triple-double player. You know, to, to do you know, double double players are great. Single players are very you know focused experts. Triple double players get it very quickly. And I will tell you that again in my journey, eight percent of the population that I see can can do this. It's it's not like a lot like a rocket science. So you know, you can have lots of mini creatologists out there, right? If you want to look at the brand. Now the question becomes, you know, how do, how does a company move forward? Which I think was what you were trying to get to, and. I think it. I think companies and management need to ask a couple of questions first, because this is not right for everybody, right? So the first question that um, that I always ask is, um, are you a can of WD-40? So think about that for a moment. Are you a can of WD-40? Meaning that what is your capacity to fail, right? And we all know the story about WD-40. We failed at the formula 39 times before we got it right. Okay, so that's the first question you have to ask is, what's your capacity to fail, fail and are you a, a can of WD-40? And by the way, as an individual, rather than management and organization, you need to ask yourself, do you have that capacity to fail? Because I, I can tell you in my playbook, uh, lots of failures that go bust, but you know, it's a learning, learning uh, opportunity. I think the second thing you need to do in management, and I mentioned this already, is you need to um, really make a concerted effort to inventory the assets. And if you believe, if you believe that there is so much value beyond the products that we sell the customers or the services, if you believe there's so much value, then you need to structure some mechanism. And that, that's going to vary by, by company. You need to structure some mechanism. We create some free range chickens that are very close to the customer facing organization because you want to hear and sense of what the customer's saying. You want those individuals 
out there that are overlay to your sales and pre-sales organization to be able to unlock and unleash those assets in very creative and new ways. And we kind of do that with business development and the alliances and that sort of thing. But but the, the center is not the relationship. The center is, you know, the asset that we have in, inside the company. And and then I think the last one is you got to be, you got to be honest about this question is, are you really customer centric? Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, people say, well, yeah, we're customer centric. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a couple of things. One is how do you measure people? How do you train people? How do you forecast people, especially the frontline folks? And what I found is everything is always around my product or SKU. When you go into a QBR internally or an internal meeting, what percentage of that conversation is customer? Oh yeah, my customer just announced, you know, that they're launching a new product. They did, what, what, what percentage? Be honest, are you really customer centric? Because you have to be super customer centric and create alignment of interest with the client. Because if you create alignment of interest, what you've done is a couple of things. You transfer knowledge, you compress the distance to um, the schedule, right? And you increase your revenue. So I think those three questions, if you're really honest with yourself, if, if you can figure that out, then you're probably a really, if you get positive answers to those three questions, I think you're a really a positive candidate to kind of figure out, you know, how to create this, this new set of skill sets that will take my assets, unlock them, and unleash them, you know, create technology. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you said earlier, right, you talked about outcomes. And, and I had like this question mark in my, in my mind, right? Are those company outcomes, right? We try to like sell this product or are they customer outcomes? And I think you just answered it, right? It has to be a customer outcome that, that you're trying to, to accomplish here, right? Um, I think that, that obviously has some implications, right? Because... I think in a lot of organizations, right, they're designed and, and we have these discussions around accountability and and so people, right, own space, right? The salespeople own the customer relationship, right? The marketing people own the value proposition, right? The R&D people own, right, whatever, the IP, right? Um, so where you're playing, it, it, it really requires, I guess, for you to be effective in this customer interaction and, and, and identify and tap into this latent value, it probably requires people to step back a little bit and not right, say, well, I'm, don't talk, right? You got to go through me to talk to the customer, right? Or, right, have you cleared, right, this, right, this offering with whatever, right, the legal team, right? I mean, I, I would imagine it requires a little quite a bit of, of flexibility that that's not like the way business normally gets done in the volume business, right? This is more bespoke where, where people give you space to do your magic. Is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, it does require a little finesse, but I will say that throughout my career, um, and maybe it's just the approach I've taken, it, it really hasn't been a challenge. I mean, my colleagues were just very, very collaborative, you know, 99, 44, 100% of the time, you know, um, we identified what roles we need to do. And, and if you anchor yourself on the common objective and you put the customer at the center, you know, all that other stuff, hidden agendas, you know, all, all that other, excuse the expression, crap that happens in corporate America, that all kinds of go away. 
right? So if, if you if you if you're on the mindset of customers to center or gravity, you create alignment of interest. You have some common objectives on what you want to help the customer with. You know this dance that happens across organizations or with individuals or you know it's my account or whatever all that all that excuse the expression crap that happens that it kind of goes away. So you need like those cultural, I guess. Right, you need you need a collaborative culture. I think right, you need a space that gives people degrees of freedom to to operate. Right, if it's all locked down and, and it's like paint by numbers, right, this ain't gonna work. Right? Yeah, and, and and remember my other my other uh, point. I was when I when I gave you the examples, you know, leadership changes. So you need to back off because this is subject matter expert that knows what he or she is talking about, or you know, the account manager is gonna be the lead in this, and you know, you're just the advisor. So you, you, as a triple double player, you need to play multiple leadership roles, being coach, advisor, cheerleader, or you lead, or whatever the case may be. And I, I for for a lot of people, that, that's kind of difficult. Yeah, what I find super fascinating is right. I mean, it's it's I think it's less than eight percent, right? Because I think right, you need the the comb skills, right? So you need to have these these deep technical expertise. I think you got to be collaborative, right? You got to have the soft skills to engage with customers. Um, so that in itself is already fairly rare. And then I guess you're going to have to be self-driven, right? Because there's no playbook, right? I mean, I, I guess you, you lay the tracks as you run the train on them, right? Because right, there's no job description for right, chief creatologist, right? So I, I think it requires also, I think, a lot of courage for people to step into these roles because right, there's no career path, right? Where do you go afterwards, right? Um, what has like, kept you in that space, right? It, it's it's not easy. I mean, it's obviously, right? If you're curious, it's, it's super fun, right? But but what, how do you account like, for the longevity that you had in these worlds? I, I think my, my passion has always been, I, I really didn't care where I sat in an organizational chart. I mean, I mean, you're, you're the, the expert in this space about organizations, but uh, I always looked at it as like a studio kind of model where you bring people <clears throat> together, collaborate, <clears throat> excuse me, the project's done and you go off and do another project. So for me, the passion always resided around the project. I really didn't care about my job title. You know, maybe I should have cared about my salary. I didn't care about salary. I didn't care. But I was, I was interested in building a book of chapters around experiences in product. I got super excited when someone would come up to me and say, Joe, can you rethink this? Joe, what do you think about, and just go off and just work with the team and kind of figure that out. And then there's a certain point that, you know, they got it, I'm off trying to figure something else out. So I, I think for me, the passion was always around the project, the experience, creating that that uh, playbook of chapters that uh, that just built up over time. And that's just that's just my makeup. I mean, it's just that's just the way I'm built. But I do like the studio model versus the, I've always said, you know, we're, in corporate America, you know, we're we're built like 1950 organizational structures, you know, with these pyramids, and I, I I could never get my head wrapped around that, right? I think COVID gave us an opportunity to rethink and reimage what work looks like, and folks like you are trying to, you know, help organizations do that. I I think it's now's the time to figure out how do I leverage my intellectual capital in different ways rather than doing layoffs or you know. Constantly re-swizzling the organizational chain. It's just, it's just, it's to me, it's just total nonsense. Yeah, I really love like the the, the implied growth mindset, right? Just to say, 
right? Well, we could right, try to figure out how we cut the piece of cake that we have into smaller and smaller pieces, right? Or we could right, try to get a, right, make a bigger cake, right? And, and I think, uh, I, I think that's, that's exactly what's needed right now, right? Because right, with things like AI, all these great technologies that are coming out, right? I think that's like a prime opportunity for uh, technologically uh, driven organizations, right? You know, like tech companies, like pharma companies, like, you know, um, to, to really leverage that and, and, and unleash the value, right? And I think, I think it's really hard for companies to do that though. Right, because the, the structures we created kind of like inhibit that, right? Well, this is my asset, not your asset, right? And, and you know, people got to ask for permission before they can go and right, share something with, with other people and so forth. So organizations, I don't think are, 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 are right now, most organizations are not wired to really tap into these opportunities. Not every organization will, will adopt the thinking that we just kind of presented. And, and, and that's okay, because there are multiple routes to success, right? Um, so don't say that, oh, God, just because I'm not doing this means that, you know, I'm going to be now in the bottom tier of my industry. No, that's not, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that this is another avenue to unlock balance sheet impact, more alignment with the client and customer intimacy that might not have existed before, that you didn't even think about as an option. Talking about advice for others, right? I mean, I, I could imagine that probably, right? Nobody came to you and said, hey, do you want to be a chief creatologist, right? We think you could really do a great job here, right? And present you as a job description, right? You kind of like fell into this. You were doing projects at some person, at some point, you, somebody, I'd realized that this might be something that, that should be done full time, right? Or that, that there's enough opportunity here, right? To really do that. And then I guess at some point, you must have had like a job description, right? Just, I'm just curious as to like, you know, did you write that? Did somebody like? Did somebody says HR really needs something now? Did you ever have one? Uh, how did you like fit into like the normal right HR world? I just I just kind of fit into the box that there was a most appropriate at the time. I think when uh, let's see when I left Dell last year, I was in the box called field CTO. When I was at HP, I was uh, I think account manager. And then I must have been a CTO at some point in time. One point in time, I was a health, I was a health, I was a healthcare industry expert. I mean, it's you know, it 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 didn't make a difference to me what the box says or what the job description was. It was so long as I got to work with customers directly to help them reimage their business using technology and get really positive results. I, I'm I'm all in. I, I love that because I think it's really, I think, a, a, a very like, powerful soundbite that supports kind of like what I've been saying is, right, that people need to do meaningful work, they got to have autonomy, and, and they got to know how they're doing, right? They need feedback. And I think you check all three boxes, right? right? You certainly felt that what you were doing right, was very meaningful, right? Unlocking value, helping customers. It sounds like you had a ton of autonomy in terms of how you go about doing that, including taking a client for a walk around New York City and, and looking at all sorts of stuff. Right. And, and you also could tell how you're doing, right? So you knew whether the projects were failing or succeeding. Um, would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I would definitely agree with, um, with that summary. I think the other interesting thing that happened over time is I would say in the last, I don't know, maybe six years, maybe seven years, as I got older in the industry, 
I was more giving back, you know, helping others, mentoring, helping others, uh, sharing some of my secrets and insights and just getting other folks on the journey. That wasn't so much what it looked like back in 1996 when I was trying to, you know, create the brand, so to speak, and try to get some projects underneath. And so I, I think the, the journey changed over time. You know, I, you know, I was given that title back in 1996. It's kind of like a joke at a staff meeting. And, uh, you know, it's turned into a brand. It's turned into some, you know, fundamental rethinking. But I will say in the last seven years, seven, six years, it's like, it's like yeah, it's, a, it's time to give back and have others take a crack at it. Because it's, it's just a different way of thinking with a different set of lenses and a different toolbox. I think we're coming to the end of our time, but, but tell us, what are you up to now? So you, you left Dell, right? What, what's, what's Joe Batista up to now? Oh God, let's see. So we, uh, you know this, we, we moved to the Cape. So we, uh, we're now living on uh, Cape Cod, which is great. And Kathy, my wife of now 37 years, we've been traveling quite a bit. So that's, that's one. Two is I've been very fortunate uh, from a lot of colleagues and clients calling me back saying, um, we could use some help. I said, love to help. Short-term projects, don't want to go back to corporate America. So I've got a number of uh, interesting projects with a number of uh, former colleagues in, in the works, which is um, it's just super exciting to me to work with people that I you know, truly enjoyed working with. Um, on a board of a, a financial institution, uh, they're going through a digital transformation. So again, kind of giving back there. And I think my fun project, I would, it just started off as we have cable TV down here on the Cape and um, they're looking to create a um, TV food channel, food network channel. Re early stages, but uh, Teresa Martin, who's the executive director of the cable TV channel, she's asked me to kind of help out. I, I find that a big foodie. So I'm finding that to be kind of exciting. So I will give you my algorithm. Here's my algorithm. You know, and by the way, this is not mine. It's a good friend of mine, uh, Peter, who actually shared it with me when he re retired, though I'm not, not retired. But it's, Joe, find something that's physical, find something that's creative, and find something that's intellectually stimulating. So the physical one is, you know, I, I joined senior uh, Cape Cod uh, softball after a couple of muscles, I, you know, we're in the playoffs, but uh, kayaking in uh, paddle ball, right? Those are my physical, my creative is um, photography and my intellectual is, you know, still staying connected to the community and working with some fantastic people on some short-term projects. So that's, that's, my, that's my journey now. Listen, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. I uh, really, really appreciate you, you sharing, right? Your experience tapping into latent value, latent value. Um, and job crafting, right? I think that's, I, I really, uh, I've been fascinated by, by your job title for the last 10 years. And uh, I'm glad we finally had the conversation to, to unpack that a little bit, um, also for our listeners. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. Uh, Tom, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And uh, thank you again for inviting me. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.